Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Reads A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 198, Aria 1, In a Clash of Kings. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. And yeah, are you ready for another book of Aria chapters? Please, my children, they're dying. (laughs) How many times will they hear, are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. I'm ready. As many chapters as there are out, which we do have the number for, I just don't feel like looking it up. Many. Numerous. Multiple. But there should be more. There should be more. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we are back into A Clash of Kings. A Clash of Kings is like my underwhelming fave book. I think a lot of people sleep on A Clash of Kings, in my opinion. Everyone's like, dance, feast, dance, feast, or storm. But I'm out here waving the flag. We're back. A Clash of Kings. Are you one? Yeah, it's just you. And also, I don't remember the last (laughs) time we were in A Clash of Kings. It's been a long time. Probably like the brand chapters, right? Yeah, I suppose it would have been Braniel. Braniel. Braniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. Braniel L. Jackson. Yeah. I miss that boy. It's been a little bit. We've got a lot of Clash of Kings in the future. We do. There's actually, I was surprised at how many Arya chapters there are in this book because so rarely does any character get that many chapters Mm -hmm. in one book. But I guess it makes sense considering what? This is, I think, anecdotally, like, I think this might be the shortest Aswath chapter we've ever done. Possibly, yeah. It's definitely up in the shorter tier. A lot of these chapters are shorter of Arya's in the front of this book and in Storm. She's got a handful that are a little shorter. It kind of reminds me of that A Game of Thrones cadence, right? Like Bran chapters were also pretty trim in A Game of Thrones. Yeah. But it will get more complex and I'm excited. We have a lot of good guests lined up actually for A Clash of Kings. So those 10 chapters we will not be fully alone for. They're coming. They're coming. I think there's four people all together that are going to be coming on throughout this book. At least. Some other people might, you know, come out of the woodwork or pop out of the snow. King's popping out of the snow. Ned's snow. 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 <laughs> yeah. I'm excited to have some friends over to talk about Arya. But first, let's start off a Clash of Kings together. Wedded bliss, right? Wedded bliss, you and I. No one else. <laughs> Just you and me, doing revenge. Oh my god. Doing revenge. Hey, that is our Patreon episode this month, right? We have a special bonus episode every month for patrons in the Stranger tier and above. That's $5 and up. This month we're going to talk about the hit Netflix film from 2022, Do Revenge. I'm remembering now, I don't think this got like enough marketing. But that's the case for so many Netflix things. I'm seeing some folks in the Discord mentioning that they're like, wow, how have I not heard of this movie? It's amazing, which it is. But also, Mm. I don't know, Netflix, what are you doing? It is weird. It's uh, directed by Jennifer Caton Robinson, and it's starring Camila Mendez, Maya Hawke, Austin Abrams, and Sophie Turner. Right, Sansa Stark (laughs) is in it. So she's really funny in it, as Eliana mentioned last week. She's so fucking funny. (laughs) So if you're a patron or if you'd like to become one over at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, 
watch this movie. It's on Netflix. I enjoy it. I'm excited to rewatch it, actually. I think I'm going to rewatch it tomorrow. I'm definitely going to rewatch it this week. I think it feels like a good week to do it. But <laughs> it's, I don't know, it's such a fun movie. I haven't rewatched it like yet in general, but I've always intended to regardless of whether or not we did this episode. So very excited. It's one of those rare films. It's kind of like a teen comedy, technically. Like, it's based on teenagers, quote-unquote. When I say teenagers in this instance, I mean 30-something-year-olds and 20-something-year-olds that look like, quote-unquote, teenagers. But you don't get a lot of these kind of fun, rompy comedies anymore. As much as I love our comic book of the week movie, you know, they kind of suck up a lot of bandwidth out there in Hollywood, so... And you're not going to get any movies anymore right now, really, True. like this, because, you know, ha <laughs> uh, strike, strike, 2023 for you historians out there. But that said, it's a really fun movie, and we need more fun, just fucking rompy, ridiculous movies like this. Absolutely. Crazy. Unhinged. I love an unhinged. I'm excited. Bottoms is coming out soon. I'm excited. Which one's Another Bottoms? Another unhinged one. Maybe we'll uh, both see Bottoms. I think you'd like it. Okay. The description is unpopular best friends. This is Rachel Sennett and A.O. Itabiri. PJ and Josie start a high school fight club to meet girls and lose their virginity. And oh then they find God. themselves in, <laughs> yes, over their heads when the most popular students start beating each other up in the name of self-defense. So it sounds fucking that amazing. Sounds hilarious. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely us coded. So maybe we'll talk about that one of these months after we watch it. Absolutely, sounds good. It's out in August. Hey, so it's August, August now. August 25th here. Yeah. Wow. All right. <laughs> uh, well, not only do patrons get perks like bonus episodes, but if you're in the Thunder tier and above the $10 and up, you're going to get even more perks like access to our private discord server it's kind of like a lifetime access i'm not kicking you off unless you're an asshole don't be an asshole that's our golden rule don't be a dick but yeah that's fun but what else do we do there eliana well once a month we do brunch slash happy hour and this month it's scheduled for sunday august 27th from 3 to 5 p.m eastern time there's sometimes games and giveaways and get to know you's but i'm not sure I'm not sure if we have games yet this month, but we haven't done one in a while. Could be the time. It could be. Could, could be, be the, the time. time. We're kind of spicy this month. I don't know if it's the big Leo energy. It could be. But yeah, it could be, you know, like Barbie's giving us the energy to do whatever we want. Yeah, finally, feminism is real. Yeah. Yeah, I told my mom. I was like, Mom, I need to take you to see the Barbie movie. <laughs> so that's how I it told goes. my mom that too, and she was like, I don't want to see that. And I was like, all right. My mom was like, but I thought someone said like, it was shot. I was like, no, mom, it's not. I cried three times. And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. That's beautiful. Back to brunch there for a hot second. I don't know where we went, but to Barbie. I don't know, yeah. uh, we're all over the place. Shit's happening. Hey, back to that Discord brunch. If you can't make it to this month's Thunder Tier and above Discord brunch slash happy hour, there's also next month, September. I don't know what month we're in. There's also next month, September the 23rd. It's a Saturday from 3 to 5 ET. So we've got next month picked out and we'd love to see you then too. I have fun at those. I like to uh, chit chat with everyone, hear about their lives, what they're watching. 
maybe someone else will have seen Bottoms. Yeah, maybe someone will. It comes out a couple will. days before brunch. Yeah. I'm probably going, like, opening day. We'll oh, see. dang. Okay. I guess, as you said, that's happening soon. Yeah. Get on it. Get on it. Something else is, as we said last week, we are returning to emails and tweets of note. I don't know. I feel like, for obvious reasons, people have not been tweeting at us that much, so maybe that's, like, good. Because, um... <laughs> It just feels Twitter is it dying. feels so weird being on X now. Um I can't believe you're calling it that. I only do it to be annoying. There's the the box, right, where you put in whatever your tweet is. One of mine, like mm-hmm. on desktop, it says, What are you what are you doing? Or like what's what's happening or something? And it has like an not just a question mark, but an exclamation point right after. I'm like, why is it so emphatic? Aggressive. Yeah. Aggressive. <laughs> I really loved the part of the transition over for X slash Twitter where some of the stuff was changed. So like the X Elon uploaded that icon <laughs> real hastily, yeah. right? That was so fast. He's like they but can't change all it. of the different Yeah, but all the different search fields you'd still go to and be like, search Twitter for something and I'd be like it still says Twitter. But now no, now it's all changed over on that too. He finally covered all those little nooks, crannies, those gaps, those holes. And it still has all, yeah, like, the X-holes. Twitter, I don't know, like, so much of it still has, like, a lot of the Twitter identity. It's, Reaper, you have, yeah. you have a it's... logo that is, like, a serif X, like, a serif font X, and then everything else is not. It's like you took a 1967 Corvette that, like, it's old, but it was loved, and he took it and he painted it a flat black matte, like, color with a spray paint, right? And then he, like... I don't know, put a lift kit on it and was like, this is so much cooler. I don't know why he did this to it. I don't know why he did this to me, specifically. I don't know why I related it to cars. I don't know what's up with that, but Uh, enjoy the fucking simile, everyone. So even though we haven't gotten that many tweets of note, we did get um, a book (laughs) recommendation, though, via DM, um, Red Rising, which I think I have heard of, so thank you to Rachel for that recommendation, but... We did get a lot of emails, and we got one. We we got a Patreon comment regarding our recent episode about road trips, about how we did not discuss Star Trek. And I would like to answer this one if I can. Can I answer this one, Eliana? Yes, yes, you may. You may. This one comes from James. Thank you. Hi, James. Thank you so much for commenting. Uh, James had commented on our road trip episode and said he was disappointed that we did not talk about Anson Mount's role in Star Trek. Because that is like a big road trip, technically, in Wild. I appreciate that. And I didn't talk about Doctor Who much, because as you know, Eliana refuses to <laughs> move on with it. Uh, but James, I have watched maybe nine episodes of DS9. I could tell you the plot of like maybe two of them, specifically about Data. I really love Data. That's like the only character I really like. But I'm going to tell you a secret, everyone. When I was wooing my husband, I watched it to try to, you know be on his level and understand his likes you know you do that like in relationships or whatever and i just don't know that it's fully for me i respect it i appreciate it but we didn't talk about star trek because we don't fucking watch it yeah nerd that's (laughs) god yeah i'm just kidding we're all nerds we're all nerds we're all nerds i mean i'm not like who would just do that you know like there's a lot of seasons (laughs) and episodes of star trek and like who has the time to like i don't know dive into a story for all those hours and time and like all those years. Um, but, you know, we can huh. get back to episode 100-198 of Arya. That's fine. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh. I was simply relaying my personal experience with Anson Mount. You know, everyone has their own Anson Mount experience. No, James, I'm sorry. You know us. We're sassy. We're going to sass you a little. We're going to sass you a little if you leave us a sassy comment. I would watch Star Trek for Anson like, Mount. I just pulled up his face. I don't know who this is. Because I was like, who is this? But, okay. Yeah, he's alright. He's alright. I see you, sure I sent you a picture of him last week when we recorded the episode. I forgot. <laughs> Clearly, we yeah, didn't, he wasn't memorable, right. I guess. But, um, yeah. He's memorable to me in Hell on Wheels. So memorable, I don't remember the plot to Hell on Wheels, but I remember Anson Mount. So, keep that one under your hat. Thanks again, James. Thanks again. Our first email from the old inbox comes from our friend Carmen, who said, I thought the point Eliana made about Arya temporarily rejecting the role of womanhood as it fits into Westerosi society was interesting. It made me think about people arguing that Arya's story cannot be a transgender one, rather a rejection of the confines of misogyny that women face in Planetos. She doesn't fit the typical roles of womanhood, needlework, dressing ladylike, sitting in the litter with the queen and princess, marrying a lord, and while I think that can be interpreted as a story of breaking stereotypes, I do not think that it is mutually exclusive with one of gender dysphoria. She actively rejects the things that would constitute womanhood in her society. I'd argue that, at least from Carmen's perspective, as a twinky little lesbian t-boy, that is in itself a manifestation of being trans. What is transitioning if not declining the expected performance of the sex you're born into? Of course, it means something different to every individual trans person transitioning, so what I'm saying doesn't begin to cover that entire trans experience, but it's something I've been thinking about with characters like Brienne, Cersei, Samwell, all characters whose cisgenderism I've seen fiercely defended online, and I think this comes from a latent gatekeeping of transgender stories, that a character cannot be read as trans unless they lay out their identity explicitly in neat terms for the reader, and said identity must be a plot point in their arc that comes with unique and all-encompassing LGBTQ struggles. Not every character who doesn't conform to gender roles is trans, and why can't they be? Why must cisgenderism be the default? I just wanted to send this over. I have a lot to say about Arya and appreciate the conversation. I love this. Actually, I just finished the Grishaverse, right? We've been talking and reading a lot of books lately. I read the whole Grishaverse, yada, yada, yada. And there's a character in the last two books in the King of Scars duology that has uh, kind of a great experience and is more or less said to be trans on off page, kind of. Some of it's in between the lines, but it's really beautifully done. I think it's a really great I like the way that Lee Bardugo did it. And I appreciate this because, like, I think there's also that blatant, like, man, gender and so much of what we put into it in everyday society is so fucking made up and so funny. It's so funny in some ways, like, the way, like, if you just stop and examine it. Yeah. I mean, why is gender in general the fucking norm, you know? I mean, I know why. I, I see why. I, I, I know history. It's something so different from who everyone is as a person and something so important. And I don't know, I just think, like, the bounds of gender are something very interesting in our society, in Westeros society, which in a meta way is, of course, da -da -da -da, built from our society. Yeah, I, I thought that this was a, a great email from Carmen. You know, I think that this is a discussion that people have been, like, having ongoing in our Discord. I don't know that I've, like... I'm sure people are discussing it elsewhere, right? But like, I I like seeing what people have been saying about it in in 
these channels in in our discord because i think people are bringing like great perspectives on like is aria's story like is aria trans is aria not there are good points being brought up like well the idea of being a boy is kind of like thrust upon her by other people who are external but at the same time Arya does really embrace that and I kind of see Arya's story personally as a cisgender woman but like I, I see Arya's story as like one of like gender fluidity which for some mm -hmm. people that is tri like and everyone gets to decide that for themselves right if uh, as a gender fluid person like are they trans are they not right but I see Arya's story as one that's kind of like that I don't know I think like every person kind of brings their own experiences and what they want like out of this story and yeah that's been an ongoing discussion and it's cool how people have unfolded that another email that we got that is kind of stark-esque but not really but a little bit all right there's a wolf kind of in it nana emailed us some pictures of a senior pug they are amazing they are amazing so sweet very sweet I had a neighbor who had an older pug, and we used to take care of them once in a while whenever they would go like on vacation or leave for a couple days or for the night. And it had a lot of health issues, but it was like so sweet. It was the sweetest little creature. I loved it so much. Earth Ranger, I miss you. Yeah. Its name was Earth Ranger. That's a pretty great also. name. I saw... That's a fucking great name. There was like this wonderful like senior dog. I don't know what kind of dog this dog was like. I don't know, some mix, like, on, on a walk yesterday, like, on this hike, and, like, they were moving so, like, slow and close to the ground, and, like, he, oh. you know, like, he was kind of trotting along, but, and the other two dogs were running along, but, like, and sometimes he had to be picked up and carried, but, like, he, he's 17 years old, but he just, he just wants to go on the walk sometimes anyway, even though he can't always do it, but he just wants to be out there, because he's been doing it ever since he was a puppy, so he just knows it. Anyway. So sweet. Ah, well, last but not least of the emails that we've gotten during this most recent round is our friend Warren, of course, like, is it an Aria episode without some input from Warren, who uh, read ahead in order to be prepared for this insight for this, this episode and chapter. And a lot of these are, are some things that, you know, will echo throughout this chapter, Warren talks about Yorin sneaking Arya out of King's Landing and how Arya dons her first formal alter ego. She will, of course, have more. And this one is Arya the orphan boy. And she silently fills the role for a time. And then also how Arya thinks about John and her family and the similarities between John and Arya during this point in the book, which I know Chloe's going to dig it into. We have a bit of that stubbornness and like entitlement, how it's not really like the most endearing of these Stark siblings' characteristics, but how both show self-reflection and move away from it. And also, of course, a big theme of Arya's arc after, you know, her dad basically died in front of her is trauma and how it really comes through in this chapter and in her confrontations um, and how that manifests as fury. Warren also really likes the point about how Arya and Sansa interpret Ned's sense of morality and justice, but they, ha they haven't had the same exposure that we saw Bran get, and how this is central to Arya's story, and part of her learning to understand the lesson that Ned taught Bran, but also um, how this ties in well with Sansa's arc, right? Which is more about maneuvering and su being subtle in a political sphere by using grace and manners. Uh, but also still seeking justice for Ned. 
even though she's not quite yet in the position to deliver it. And, you know, a lot of Arya's learning is about the difference between justice and vengeance and how this is very skillfully handled by George. It's justice she seeks, but it's often vengeance she delivers. Do revenge. And there are some key moments when we see her learn this lesson going forward, most prominently in her decision not to grant Sander mercy and to remove his name from her prayer. The concept of mercy is particularly evident in her Winds chapter, which there are some spoilers, spoilers. there, so I'm not going to say that. But anyway, a lot of things going well <laughs> together with Sansa's Beep. obtaining justice for Ned and delivering the ultimate punishment to get a job, Littlefinger. For two moments, I'm continually heat that Orin is continually looking under. And not to like trifle with semantics here, like obviously, I'm not trying to be pedantic, Warren, but I would actually argue that Arya isn't seeking justice, and maybe we'll chat mm. about it in this chapter. I would argue that she doesn't yet know the difference between justice and vengeance, having had Ned not teach them really that lesson, obviously. And I think she's seeking to learn the difference, because this chapter alone, she kind of starts her little vengeance arc. I would say. Honestly, justice is, like, a very, I think, expansive topic that I don't even, like, that if you speak with any law experts, you know, I'm sure if you spoke with our mm -hmm. friends on Learned Hands, there's, like, a lot of different kinds of justice, and even into adulthood, like, it is a very complex idea that I'm, took me a long time, I think, to even understand the difference between the two when I was a younger adult, so I understand a nine-year-old not knowing. Yeah, no, I agree, but that's why I'm saying... I don't agree that she's looking for justice. She's She wants to hurt the people that hurt her and her family. And a lot of adults also think, do see that as justice, right? That's why there's a lot of different theories of what justice is. So anyway, I agree. It comes back to Ilaria's speech in Feast. I mean, it is killing Sir Illyn, Sir Marin, King Joffrey, Queen Cersei, Dunson, Polliver, Raph, Gregor, the Tickler, and Sandor is killing these people bringing justice to what was done to your family and how the North was slaughtered. No, and she doesn't understand that as a youngster. Like, she's not able to conceptualize what war really, really means yet. She's learning it every fucking day, as we're about to chat about in these chapters throughout Clash. But, you know, how could she? How could she understand and conceptualize that? Again, nine years old. But I wouldn't necessarily say that killing all those people is getting justice. Mm. So, and again, that's a big concept we'll talk about. I'm sure. As the years go by here. We have so many books. <laughs> we have a lot of Arya so chapters, chapters, so... Right. We'll finally get to this <laughs> when one, we though. Finish yeah, when we finish this this chapter, we'll have more. In 2028. Well, let's talk about what we missed and how we got to this chapter. You might be wondering how I got to this chapter. It starts in a Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's finish out a Game of Thrones, right? Arya's last chapter in a Game of Thrones wasn't the last chapter in a Game of Thrones, so we'll run through the end and hop over to Clash before we begin with our lightning round. Up first, Bran 7. Bran and Rickon dream the same dream and their father dies. Sansa 6. Depressed from watching her dad viciously slaughtered in front of her, Sansa is made to leave her room and go stare at the heads of everyone and everything that she used to love. Fun. Just girly things. Just girly things. Wow. Tyrion 9. Tyrion's dispatched to King's Landing as the next most eligible Hand of the King, which is a totally great and real job that you will not get killed at. You will not get killed at. 
John Nunn, determined to join his brother's <laughs> war. John deserts, but his friends bring him back. Hmm. He is invited to go ranging beyond the wall. A couple turn of phrase Yeah, there. I was like, did you mean to do that? <sighs> I, I didn't, but here I am. I'm always yeah. good. Catalan 11, Northern Motherfucking Independence. Daenerys 9 and 10. Daenerys copes mm-hmm. with the loss of her child and must say goodbye to Drogo. She builds a funeral pyre for Drogo, adding Miri Mazur for, you know, a little extra spice, and awakens dragons. And, of course, that lands us at A Clash of Kings with a chapter that we have covered and know very well, the prologue. <laughs> Under the red light of the comet, Maester Crescent tries to save Stannis from his own demons, but he fails. Dang. And that brings us here to episode 198 in the fifth year of Girls Gone Canon, because oh we have spent many hours on this series. <laughs> Arya won in A Clash of Kings. <laughs> on the road again. Why'd you have to fucking say that? On the road again. <laughs> Arya heads north. Five fucking years. Yep, year five. Uh, yeah, Arya won in a clash of kings. Year f- five years later. <laughs> chapter one. This is chapter one. I like when we get to do. It, maybe it's just like a weird, like the way my brain works and the the things that please my brain. But I like when we get to do a a, a chapter one of a book and it's a character recovery. Yeah, it's you know? rare. So it's very fun. Yeah. And, of course, the prologue, which we covered, that's chapter zero. Prologues are chapter zero in my mm. book. You know, I don't count that as chapter one. The fuck? Yeah. But I find that those there's there's kind of, like, some interesting combos and duos when you look at prologue, chapter one, prologue, chapter one. And some of them are pretty simple to grasp some of those parallel themes, right? You have a Game of Thrones with Will, and then the first chapter is Bran. I feel like. There are some themes that can be captured there with the North. Literally recurring uh, characters. Beyond the wall. Yeah. Yeah. And A Clash of Kings is the Crescent prologue in Arya, so we'll come back to that in a second. A Storm of Swords is Chet and Jamie. I'm sure there's some stuff to think about there. Uh, Pate and the Prophet for A Feast for Crows. And then Adawada is Varamir and Tyrion. Hmm. Definitely some connections to draw there, right? Some of that hatefulness happening in A Dance with Dragons. But... Arya Crescent is kind of weird, right? Yeah. There's, from your first look, there's not... Uh, the biggest things they have in common, of course, are the comet, right? And we're going to talk about this comet a lot in this chapter and next. And I'm sure we have lots of comparisons to draw. But the first comparison to draw there is that Crescent opens with the comet, where the comet's tail spread across the dawn, a red slash that bled above the crags of Dragonstone like a wound in the pink and purple sky. And Arya's chapter actually closes with the comet. It doesn't Mm. begin with it. So we have at the end of this chapter, that night she lay upon her thin blanket on the hard ground, staring up at the great red comet. The comet was splendid and scary all at once. The red sword, the bull named it. He claimed it looked like a sword. And the blade still red hot from the forge. Ooh, is Gendry Azora high? Anyway, um, I mean, interesting. I, Wrong Baratheon. I mean, I, you know what? We do have a character in this who does kill the Night King. So 
You never know. You never know. Yeah. Uh, I thought those were some interesting connections. And you get an ensemble of characters introduced in each, right? We talked a lot about how Crescent's prologue, back in the prologues, how that's kind of... It was a great ensemble introduction. You have to do a lot of work to introduce Stannis's people, Stannis, the people surrounding him, all sorts of stuff. Dynamics, you know, uh, belief systems in play with Melisandre. You have to do a lot of lifting in that prologue. And here we do have a new ensemble of characters. We have a Baratheon, right? We have Gendry, the bull. We have Lamy Greenhands with his green hands and hot pie. So that's kind of your patch face, question mark. Uh, Yorin as a Crescent or a Pylos or some sort of, you know, official character. And then, I don't know, Arya, Shireen, I'm losing it. It's not that. Focally, it's interesting. Melisandre versus Jacken and the trio in the cart. I don't know. I don't know. But realistically, no. Like, it doesn't have a big connection, right? Other than setting up some of the book two players. It's maybe the most disconnected amongst all the prologue first chapter duos. I think thematically, it does align and kick home that message of like, especially in A Clash of Kings, introducing the chaos of war. And interestingly, Arya's plot develops to be more like the Crescent chapter, when you think of it, right? First, Harrenhal, the largest, most magical, fucked up, burnt out castle there is. And then Storm, you get the Brotherhood, you get people coming back to life, you get fire and fights. And then, of course, Feast and Dance with some of the magical plot going on with Arya. Uh, so she she inherits the magic of eventually from that plot. But this plot, not so much in this chapter to connect it to. Yeah, but I, I mean, like, what, we get the introduction of Davos in the previous chapter, too, and we've already discussed a couple of similarities between Davos and Arya's story, and um, I like to call mm-hmm. it there of of Gendry, because it does kind of connect and, like, make him stand out more in this chapter. You're like, oh, the Baratheons. Wait, that's... Isn't that kid? Isn't that kid who's in this chapter? A Baratheon? So... And George does some really cute things with that, like not just that, but other things in Arya's plot of like removing name or removing identity in this chapter that I just think is fun. We'll talk about him. Yeah, but now Arya's got a new name. At Winterfell, she was Arya Horseface, and she thought that was the worst nickname that she could have until now. On the road, she gets one-upped. The orphan boy Lommy Greenhands names her Lumpy Head because of her lumpy-headed haircut. She's like, my head does feel lumpy. And at first I was like, did she hit her head? And then I realized, oh no, they meant the hair. Anyways, Yorin had razored through her matted hair with his dagger, the fistfuls of hair falling across the stones as he yelled at her to stay still, telling her that she'd be named Ari, the orphan boy, Orphan. Anyways, until they get to Winterfell. Chloe's just like, her face is like, why is this happening right now? Anyways, hair is a very powerful way, as we've discussed with other characters, but it, it's absolutely true here for Arya's story as well. To signify character change, Arya gets also, I would say, not just one new name, but two. Same as how she did in Winterfell. Like, she was both either Arya Underfoot or Arya Horseface. It really makes me think of, you know, this idea of the Jungian shadow. You have the persona, right? What oneself is or that others think they are versus what's hidden and repressed. And, you know, Arya Horseface was kind of that thing she didn't want to be seen as. It was, it was 
that part of her that was jealous of her sister and made fun of, but still would long to be close to her here. Um, she's got lumpy head. And I don't know if there's like much more I can dig into that other than she doesn't like that name versus the name Ari, which is kind of still close to her old life. Um, and I think, you know, you start to kind of see Arya gets more and more names, usually sometimes only one at a time. And the parts of her life, that shadow part of her, what's hidden rep and repressed, really starts to become integrated into who she is. And as we, a lot of people have noted and discussed about Arya's chapter over the years, because these books have been out for a really long time, this last one's been out for over a decade, her identities start to get really muddled in like, who is she? And she's still trying to figure that out because she's also like only nine. Yeah, the lumpy head name is funny because it reminds me of like when dudes shave their head and they're like, my head's all weird shaped. And I'm like, yeah, it's lumpy as shit. You know? Yeah. Like, or like when you, when someone shaves their head for the first time and you're like, I wonder what's going to be under there. And you just wouldn't know. You wouldn't, you wouldn't And that's know. what I thought it was going to be like. Like, is her head like actually lumpy? But it was just the hair is lumpy. The hair's lumpy. It's uneven. It's a pretty bad bowl cut. It's not even it's a not bowl even cut. A, he I could have at that... least put a bowl over, you know? Uh, could he have? They were in yeah, an right. alley. Where was he going to get a bowl? Anyways, uh, wow. Aliana, I a worry bowl about brown. you when it comes to these kind they of moments. Eat a bowl of brown, like, put it over her head. Uh, <laughs> greasy. Uh, I think there's something kind of sad in that, she, like you said in the last chapter, she was underfoot at the statue, and that was kind of, that name can't live anymore, right? You can't be underfoot when, you know, you coin that name from your dad and his legacy and the people around him, and they always call you underfoot. Well, your innocence, your youth just got bled out in front of you, so now she's no longer underfoot, she's no longer horse face, she's lumpy head, she's Ari, and something interesting. He brought up her name, how it was very close to her past life, having Ari, Arya. You know, when you take on a secret identity, whether it's like witness protection or you're in high, some, you know, crazy shit, you want it to be similar with at least like a similar consonant or letters in it so that you still respond <laughs> to it True. here. I've heard this somewhere. I cannot tell you where. I cannot cite my sources, but I hear that you want to have like a front of your name oh it's from weeds never mind it's not a real thing it's from weeds i'm sorry <laughs> i mean it makes sense but also it's like it makes sense so that you at least still respond to it because like it shows her character growth and that later on she has wildly different names from her name and learns mm -hmm. to respond to them as part of you know like her training as spy assassin rogue leveled up yeah in some aspects, right? Like, cat mm -hmm. isn't. Cat would make her turn her head, I would say. Weasel and Nan, not very similar. Yeah, that wouldn't. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot going on, right, with her hair being chopped off. You've actually written an essay that I will have you link below in the description. Go read Eliana's essay. It's just about hair in the old... It's about main characters, sorry. It, they weren't uh, all main nay. characters, but I needed a pun, okay, everyone? And this was important. Main, as in, like, M-A-N-E, like, what's on a horse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's why I said nay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's a great essay, though. Give it a look. Highly recommend about hair and what it means for characters and transformative experiences, but... We just came from Daenerys, right, who burnt her hair off in Birthing Dragons, burying the husband she had to kill, and the woman who may or may not have done something about, you know, her womb. Uh, we just came from Daenerys then, just, you know, burning her hair off 
in that process, not meaning to, obviously. And that was kind of a big, I'd say there was some transformation happening in that arc. I don't know about you, right? I I mean, a lot of things, she goes through a lot of changes, but I think, yeah, the end of Game of Thrones is absolutely a transformative moment for Daenerys. And it makes me think of Cersei at the end of A Dance with Dragons. That's a pretty transformative bit for her as well. And of course, makes me think of Duncan Egg with Rowan Weber. Going back to Samson, right? The the easiest of the hair mythos. Samson losing his strength when his hair is shorn. Arya's hair too, when it's cut, it kind of, it's interesting going back to that language of her mom's hair. You know, when she thinks, no, not my hair. Ned loves my mm. hair when they hold her head up to cut her neck. And Ned's head being chopped off. You know, there's uh, there's something kind of crazy about that imagery that then moments after her hair is being chopped off and losing her strength, right? That her father was just murdered in front of her, killed in front of her, and now she's lost a big part of her, uh, her identity. And there's, of course, the pretty common, like in Corinthians, there's a bit about long hair being the glory of a woman. It's disgraceful when men keep the hair, but long hair is a sign of modesty Like in many depictions of the Bible, when there's illustrations brought to life that's always shown the hair covering the body, or Mary Magdalene, right, pictured with hair covering her shame through the desert, and also to dry the feet of people whose feet she washes, etc. I don't know, there's something about that, right? Like Arya being cut out of that path, that that path to, originally she was supposed to be a lady, right? Like her dad says, you are going to be a lady and keep a castle for your husband. And she's like, no, that's not something I'd fucking do. I would never do that. Uh, That life for her, you know, she's being cut away from that life. She's being literally cut out of that, almost like ejected from the fucking garden. And there's also that extension of herself coming back to some of those ideas of, you know, gender and fluidity you talked about, and Arya even stating in the first book, the woman's important too, and for more than having hair, right? And more than just being an extension of herself. It's like Sirio said, the sword becomes a part of you. You're not a boy. You're not a girl. You're a sword. And Arya, to become that sword, she's losing kind of that hair that ties her to some of those confines of societal femininity in Westeros. And it's kind of like the first step in almost achieving like Westerosi gender nirvana, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for two seconds, I thought you were saying, yeah, and, like, after head- Ned gets his head chopped off, I was like, is she saying that, like, the beheading was a haircut? Because I'm like, I guess so. Like, a very yeah, intense one. <laughs> no, just similar motions, right? Like, if you put them in your mind, all three moments, put Catalin in one screen. Hey, if you could think for a moment, Catalin dying on one panel, Ned dying on another panel, and then Arya in the middle of them. That's what I'm asking you to do with your brain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that make you happy? Are you Abs- happy? Yeah, yeah, sure. Is that what you want me to feel? <laughs> <laughs> but absolutely with um this part about Sirio and the sword, you know, you're not a boy, not a girl, you are a sword. But there's also... There's an aspect of it that now makes me even think of, like, the de-gendering and therefore dehumanization of someone as they just become a weapon, um, and George talking about Mm. uh, writing Arya's story being as one that's inspired by child soldiers, and, Mm -hmm. you know, I think we'll see a little bit more of that later on and how George explores that, 
Um, I'm, I'm curious about how much knowledge George has about this topic because there are some things he's really good at, some things I'm like, did you do your research? But anyway, we'll see. <laughs> what? I'm being honest <laughs> today. No, it's very true. It just, I, I liked the way that you put that. It made me laugh. Thank you. We'll just see how it goes. But anyways. So Yorin warns her that the gate isn't hard to get out of with him leading, but on the road, it is a different story. There are men and boys bound for the wall all from the dungeons, and half of them would turn her over for a pardon, and the other half would also still turn her over for a pardon, but would rape her before doing so. Yorin warns her to keep to herself and make sure that she pees in the woods far away from everyone else and don't drink more than she needs to, which is honestly good advice. And Yorin was right, because King's Landing was easy to get out of. We have a line. No one spared Arya a glance. They were looking for a highborn girl, daughter of the king's hand, not for a skinny boy with his hair chopped off. Arya never looked back. Ooh, actually, that line kind of stands out, you know, with the never looked back and the hair chopped off. You were talking about Daenerys just now, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of Daenerys' stories, a lot of her telling herself, like, if I look back, I am lost. And some parts where, where there's... Later on in Daenerys' story, right, where we do the sacking of a couple of cities, which is interesting here with Arya saying, she wishes the entire city, Joffrey, his mother, Flea Bottom, all of it be washed away by the Blackwater Rush, but remembers that, oh wait, Sansa is still there, so she decides to just wish for getting to Winterfell instead. And the hardest part about the road turns out it's not peeing. Hot Pie and Lamy are the hardest part. They are orphan boys plucked from the streets. The only two who aren't chosen from the dungeon. And the worst of the men that Yorin had found, they are kept fettered in the back of a wagon. One with no nose. And then there's apparently, according to Arya, a gross fat bald one with pointed teeth and sores. And... A secret third one. Yeah, there's a secret third one that he doesn't fucking talk about, which I love. And I actually didn't notice it on this chapter. I'll probably bring it back up next week. I'll be annoying. Mm. Uh, I noticed it on the second chapter because I read both of them this week. And when we meet Jacken for the first time, we'll, we'll see him next chapter. But this chapter, we don't even get a description, even though he's there. He is no one. Yeah, I I think it's interesting that, like, how do they know that Rorge and Biter, right, are the most dangerous and therefore should be fettered? As a lot of people have, like, asked over the years, what did Jacken do? What did Jacken do that he would, like, be there and everyone's so scared of him? Like, Rorge and Biter are also scared of him, so I want to know. I mean, who was he when he entered those dungeons? Who is she? <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm serious, yeah, though. Yeah, for real. Like, what happened? Or, like, did he kill someone else and then, like, that person was still alive the next day and they're like, whoa, what? What's happening here? <laughs> uh... What happened to the other guy? Anyway. Also, Rorge having, like, just there talking about this hole where his nose is supposed to be. Interestingly, I felt, stood out how it ties to, like, Tyrion's story and how Tyrion loses his nose at the end of this book. And then also, like, some of that backstory that maybe Rorge, like, was involved or forced to have been, like, some fighting pits, so... Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's a good call. I didn't think about that. 
So, on the road, they're packed up to the nines with fabric, food, medicine, spices for the road, and Yorin bought two coursers and half a dozen donkeys, too. Arya gets a donkey. She's the youngest, two years younger than the youngest orphan, and smaller and skinnier. Naturally, that only makes the boys bully her more. They all wonder where Lumpy Head got his sword. Arya tries to shut up about it. Maybe he's a little squire, Hot Pie said. His mother was a baker before she died, and she would push her cart through the streets, shouting, Hot Pie, Hot Pie, which is where he gets his name from. Arya, of course, defends herself, saying, It's Castle Forge Steel, stupid. And I just feel like anything she says probably has stupid on the end, let's be real. Uh, and Hot Pie and Lamy speculate, and Lamy's like, Oh, I bet he stole it. They talk about how we should steal it back then, since Lumpy Face obviously doesn't know how to use it. Arya holds back, knowing she has to be discreet, though she's thinking about her first kill. So, I just wanted to call out, I thought it was really funny how Hot Pie is like, yeah, Lumpy Face, and then Lamy corrects him and goes, no, it's Lumpy Head. You have to get the insulting names correct, apparently. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You know, I forgot about Lamy, and I'm rereading these chapters, what? and what I'm like, What the fuck's a Lamy? Pete would be so disappointed well, in you. no, no, no. I didn't forget about him, just, like, more about oh, yeah, him. Like, yeah. I forget that his hands are actually fucking green. Like, maybe it's a nod at him descending from the green hand. Yeah. But, like... His hands are legitimately actually green, and it's never touched on again. Touched on? Huh. 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 Uh, yes, lumpy face. See, I totally, even I forgot. Uh, she thinks about how Yorin doesn't know about her first kill, and she kind of thinks, oh no, I'd be in so much <laughs> trouble if he knew. Which is kind of funny, right? Because like Yorin would be like, well, you fucked up, but hey, everyone gets their first kid. You know, Yorin probably wouldn't say anything about it. And it's so funny because it's like the world is ending, war is starting. That's such a cute little kid thing for her to be like, uh-oh, I would be in trouble if someone knew. Because like, who is going to hold her accountable anymore? That's going to be a little chaotic, right? As we see over the next books, there is no accountability. There is no adult sitting there telling her, Arya, you're doing the wrong thing. There's no one saying, Arya, maybe you shouldn't be joining the murder cult. Maybe that's bad. There's no one to tell her that. There's no one to say, brush your hair. There really isn't anyone to tell her like that killing people is bad like anymore. And that's like her, her story very much becomes about that, right? Like the lines between what's right and good blur. They're no longer black and white. She's hanging out with people who are like, no, killing is good. <laughs> well, like, or like, it's necessary. It's practical, right? Like, I mm -hmm. mean, and they, a lot of them. It's real. Are very much killers. Worge and Biter, very much killers. What do you think his teeth are fucking yeah. filed for? Honestly, actually, yeah. no, Sandor I do. has a whole fucking essay about it to Sansa. I am actually curious what, why, who decided to file his teeth. Anyways. Well. But. Again, fighting pits, you come back to fire and blood. Yeah. But speaking of uh, Sandor, you know, like what you were saying, there's an aspect of it in which, like, would Arya be held accountable for killing a stable boy again, like, as Arya Stark, as someone mm -hmm. uh, who's a member of her class? Would she be held accountable for killing him in the way that no. Joffrey and Sandor... Micah. Yeah, we're not, no one was held accountable for killing Micah, right? And so there's something really interesting there in Arya wondering, will I get in trouble for this? Mm -hmm. And no, you know, again, Kendall Roy, <laughs> like, 
no real person involved. Big agree. The boys make fun of her. Lommy's saying lumpy head, or uh, getting the name right, probably wants to cry now. And Arya actually had cried the night before in her sleep, waking up red-eyed and dry, dreaming of her father. She couldn't shed one more tear now, so, and she's out. See, there's another one, right? No one's held accountable for Ned's death, right? Why? That's what I'm saying. A boy with shaggy black hair interrupts and tells them to leave him alone. The bull. Lamy had named him. Oh, I get it. Lamy's <laughs> the kid who names all the other kids. I see. That's how he's, like, getting social power here. A boy that was older oh and big- No, I'm serious. For his age. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. With strong true. arms and a broad chest. Lamy continues, saying, Ari better give the sword to Hot Pie, because Hot Pie's kicked a boy to death and would do the same to Ari. Oh my god, it was probably an accident, right? And ironically, probably just like Arya's first kill might... is really more over I don't it. even think it's true. I think Hot Pie yeah, made that up. It... I think Hot Pie, especially, I do like that the, the show characterized that pretty well. It was like, Hot Pie's soft, actually, though. Uh, yeah. He's soft. He is. He's a good boy. Arya hands her practice sword over and is like, you can have this one. And they're like, no, that's just a stick. Hot Pie wants the real sword. Hot Pie tries to get Needle from her, but Arya lays the wood on his donkey's butt and the animal bucks him to the ground. Uh, she whacks him across the face and she whirls towards Lamy and is like, you want some of this too? And he raises his dyed green hands in the air to get away. He does not want any of that. Uh, the bull warns her, Hot Pie's behind you. And she spins, seeing him carrying a big jagged rock. Uh, this is kind of very Shagwell and Brienne. Ooh. They dance for a moment, him stumbling after her, and his face is smeared with blood and mud. Arya goes into her water dancer stance, waiting, and when he gets close, she lunges between his legs. Yeah, so I love that moment. It shows that it's not necessarily, like, the weapon... It's what you're saying that Sirio said, right? The sword is not just you become the weapon, because just because Arya wasn't using Castle Forge Steel doesn't mean that the stick on its own was not deadly. She was very good at beating him up with just a stick, but also it makes me think like, I mean, we just like did all those Ari chapters very quickly. There were like only five of them. And I'm like, how long were all of those King's Landing time skips slash the time between each of those Arya chapters? Because I mean, I know that Arya is precocious and like a bit of a prodigy i guess when it comes to sword fighting but <laughs> no like how is she this good already like how many fucking lessons did she have how long were the time skips between everything in that whole book i have a take on this it's not that Arya's really really good here and i'm not saying she's not good she's great she's wonderful prodigy for sure but it's not as much about her being good as it is that hot pie relied on being a big boy mm, he relied aw. on being the bigger boy that could take this scrawny little kid right i mean to him he's like arya's a little wafy boy so he relied on his brute strength as a man and he underestimated her, which is exactly what Sirio told her and exactly what Brienne's mentor told her, right? He underestimated her based on her size and didn't understand her speed or how skilled she actually was, right? They keep saying she doesn't know how to use a, or he doesn't know how to use a sword. He doesn't know how to use a sword. Well, what they don't know is she just trained with a fucking Bravosi water dancer. So I think it's also, moreover, she has more training than these two younger orphan boys that, you know, grew up poor. Yeah, I, it's, I do think that's part of it as well, but I'm still even just like, you know, she dodged 
I don't know, a fucking rock. No matter how much you trade me, I'm gonna get hit by that rock. I'm sorry. Uh, but also, like, that and you were, you making those, like, you were making those, um, comparisons. It also makes me think then of, because you're talking about Hot Pie relying on his size. And then it's reminiscent <laughs> of Oberyn as well, right? And, and the mountain. Yeah. And Gregor. Absolutely. I forgot his name. Absolutely. <laughs> Sir Robert Strong. Uh. Yeah, no, absolutely. Big agree. I uh, I just think that quite obviously Hot Pie was relying on his own image to be... Uh, yeah, but Hot Pie when... actually, I don't think he's killed anyone. No, he's soft as shit, and I love that about him. I would want him to stay that yeah. way, you know? But I get it. I would lie. Get your bakery, my poor boy. I'd lie about my killing someone boy. too if I were in his shoes. <laughs> well, uh, that's part of it, right? It's all that—that that is part yeah. of the plot. That's about appearances. Like Sirio said, what do you want them to see? Hot Pie wants people to see I'm big and mean, and I've killed people. When all he wants to do is fucking bake a pie. Absolutely, believe in yourself. So, by the time that Yorin breaks up the fight, Hot Pie has, of course, shat his pants, further supporting my points, and crying on the ground. <laughs> Uh, Yorin pries the stick sword from Arya and chastises Arya for almost killing the boy and Lamy and the others squeal in the background. He yells at them to shut the fuck up or he'll shut them the fuck up. He doesn't say that. Those are my words, but he basically, he basically says, that. says that. And I just added the fucks, really. And he says that if any more of this happens, he'll tie them to the wagons and drag them to the north. So commands Arya to follow him drags her into a tangle of trees and is loudly yelling, if I had sense, I'd have left you in King's Landing. And he's like, unlace your breeches, press yourself to the oak tree. And he's like, scream loudly. Uh, so he lays the wood on her thighs and she shrieks. He gives her three hits and she jumps and howls and she thinks, I won't cry. I won't do that. I'm a Stark of Winterfell. Our sigil is the direwolf and direwolves don't cry. She could feel a thin trickle of blood running down her left leg. Her thighs and cheeks were ablaze with pain. He says the next time she takes a stick to one of her brothers, she'll get twice what she gives. Again, goes right back to John, right? And his fitting in at the watch with his brothers and kind of, um, I think that is kind of apparent, right? Like, obviously she's had more training than these boys even that are being sacrificed to the wall, all because they were at the wrong place, wrong time, Right. Uh, it's, it's the same lesson John had to learn about the men at the wall, the boys at the wall, and that he is no better than them. Yeah, because he did the same thing, right? He showed off by taking on a bunch of them at the same time and, and humiliated yeah, them. he just didn't get spanked by Jor. Yeah. I do find Yorin as a mentor really interesting. Uh, a lot of Arya's stories about having mentors, but he contrasts a lot with... I would say particularly Septimordain, because I think that mm. was a very formative part, you know, of like when Arya was not only a girl, but also nobility, like Septimordain could scold Arya, but she never actually laid hands on her. And I don't think she could. Uh, maybe she could, maybe she couldn't. Mm -hmm. You hear those stories. But like besides the part where I think the class difference would make it like unseemly for Septimordain too, there's an aspect in which for noble women and like, you know, noble girls' bodies are part of, like, the package, right? And you have to be careful not to yep. damage it too much for marriage. So she couldn't quite strike them. But also coming back to 
class, you know, and the contrast like with John at the wall. Like I think John doesn't quite get beaten uh, in the same way by some of the leadership because of his class. He does like enjoy some favoritism by not Alistair Thorne because, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's Ned Stark's kid, allegedly. And also, like, same with Sam, but it kind of cuts the other way, right? Like, he gets called a lordling a lot because, I, I mean, there is, I think, an envy, understandably, of, of his class. And that's, I think, part of, yeah. like, how Arya is being made fun of here. And I, in fact, I think a lot of the bullying that Arya sustains here is kind of similar to Sam's chapters, especially when they're picking on the one who's the smallest, right? The one who least conforms to what it means to be masculine. Yorin also, like, doesn't step in to stop the bullying, but also I would say, like, even Septimordain didn't either when Arya was being bullied. Septimordain didn't stop Sansa or, or Jane in particular, right? Like, but I think they do it for different reasons. Like, Septimordain was, like, kind of reinforcing it because she thought it would, like, I don't know, make Arya be better. Yorin doesn't step mm -hmm. in because he knows that if he does break it up and stands up for Arya... She's going to get branded as like a teacher's pet kind of thing and that's going to put even more of a target on her, which obviously he does not want because he's already hiding her. And when the time comes, he scolds both parties. He scolds both Hot Pie and Lamy and also Arya, unlike how Mordane didn't do that with Sansa and Jane again. And I think that's crucial for making her and integrating her into the rest of the group because like, you know, I think it's not the first time that she's, like, been punished physically, as we see from Serio Pharrell's training. Like, you fuck up in combat class, like, obviously you're gonna get hurt, right? Whether that's by cat scratches or a sword, but as Serio pointed out, like, if it's live steel, like, you're dead. And that's way more painful and lasting. And I'm not so sure that, like, maybe physical punishment is necessary here from Yorin in this circumstance, and I am not advocating for physical punishment for children, but... What it does do in the context of the story is similar, right? Like, a social mistake rather than a combat mistake, it could also cost Arya's life, as Yorin points out earlier. And, like, I mean, whether it's right for him to have let this happen or not, Yorin letting it escalate to the point that Arya beats up Hot Pie is a necessary right, in a way, to perform masculinity and therefore remove the target from her back. Again, like, you can see the respect that Sam gets when he's seen as Sam the Slayer in his chapters versus otherwise, and, I mean, Yorin knows how these things go, right? Like, he knows how one gets to be assimilated into a group of men because it is his literal job slash whole life. Yeah, I like what you've brought up here, especially because in Westeros society, getting hit, getting beat is a very masculine-coded yeah. punishment. It, it, it's all about humiliating you as a mm, man good point. and uh, it's not as we see in clash soon right when sansa's beat in front of the court it's a big deal it's really fucked up everyone's like oh my god what the fuck like you don't just beat a young woman especially you're fucking betrothed in front of the entire court that's kind of maybe not you know very it's not very pc yeah it's not very pc to beat a woman in front of a court uh it's why it's so fucked up i mean it's fucked up to beat someone Okay, in real life, I'm talking in the fictional world of Game of Thrones here. Yes, yes. Song of Ice and Fire. Look at Ramsay, right? Like, it, that, it starts an entire uprising of we can't let Ned's daughter be beat. And it comes again to class. It comes to class, right? Like, this didn't stop. Uh, everybody was too busy seeking the pussy instead of defending Lady Hornwood, right? It comes to class. Arya is a princess. Arya should not be treated that way from class. But... 
I like the point you've made that it removes that target from her back and the fact of the matter that it also lends the credence to, yeah, this is just some boy we have. We're treating him and it's a performance. As he walks Arya out to the woods, he's saying, why'd you do that, boy? Really loudly. And he's reinforcing what everyone sees. What everyone sees is that he's being treated or he's treating Arya like a boy, a normal boy who's joining the watch. He's keeping her cover by doing this. As you were saying earlier, it has to do with like, because you're talking about how the punishment, physical punishment is more normalized uh, for for boys, right? And mm-hmm. it almost like equalizes and I, there's something weird about it, like granting respect in a way that I don't truly understand. Like I'm thinking of like, you know, Fuchs in that scene mm-hmm. before the time, some of the time skips and Barry, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Yes. It's like a weird martyrdom yeah. of masculinity, right? It's a martyrdom of masculinity. There's your next book title. <laughs> the Martyrdom of Masculinity by George R. R. Martin. But it is like, it's like, if I can take the most pain, it shows that I am the strongest yes. person and I can endure the most if I can have the best endurance, which means I am the leader of the pack. Yeah. Yes. Like Kaz Brecker even in fucking Shadow and Bone, Six of Crows, Grishaverse. Like Kaz Brecker is kind of like that. He's like a fucking... He's a pain slut. And Strong Bellwas, who is, uh, who there you is go. the best. It's because yeah. he's actually the best. Anyways. Um, <laughs> so Arya thinks, uh, in regards to what Yord said, like, they're not my brothers, but she knows better than to say that aloud. Yord reminds her that Hot Pie didn't kill Ned and Lamy didn't either, and that hitting them won't bring him back. I don't know, have you tried? Again, coming back Sorry. to that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and that's kind of what Arya takes off, right? Even when she goes to the Brotherhood, she's like, you know, could you bring back a man with no head? I've been trying for two books, anything. Uh, Nothing kills that pain. It's like any vice. You can't just keep killing people to fill the hole of someone that died. Mm. And it's the first lesson that she, you know, she ignores it for several (laughs) books. It makes her own little cute little kill list because she's nine years old. Cute. Uh, Aw, baby's first kill list. So cute. Yeah. Ooh, ooh. But that that is a uh, that's part of it right there. What he said, they didn't kill Ned. Hitting them won't bring him back, and that's the lesson she has to learn over these following books. Mm. And Yorin actually reveals to us something interesting here, right? He's like, "Well, by the way, this wasn't supposed to happen. A man had come to me with the boy, a boy, so the bull, I'm guessing, and a purse of coin, and is like, Eddard's to take the black. He'll be going with you." So I'm pretty sure from the way that it's described, this was Varys, maybe. It sounded like Varys was going to spring Ned, I think, connecting it. Some of the language is similar to the man that brought him the boy. Uh, if you go back to, like, Eddard Six, A Game of Thrones, we have that kind of stout, round of shoulder, not so tall, brown beard with a bit of red, wearing a rich cloak and heavy purple velvet, and the hood shadowed his face. I never saw him clear. Uh, sounds a lot like Varys then, as we talked about way, 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 way back five years ago. Um, and now I think it's similar how you kind of hear the man that brought the coin and a boy, unless it was Tobo. Could have been Tobo, too. But to me, it sounds like Varys was setting up, Eddard should take the black, and here's this bastard boy that I need out of the city for now. For my plans. Yeah, yeah. I, the red sounds interesting, like George had maybe initially thought of, and then ungardened out like a... Connington, maybe, or something. Mm-hmm. Because... Agreed. 
But well, it kind of seems like he was putting his bastards in different nests, right? You had Connington going with Aegon. You had Ned could take Gendry, is kind of what this implies almost. So and he Ned would go to the wall and be with Gendry, nice. Robert's bastard. Oh, that's kind of sad and nice. Yeah, and then he like swoops up, grabs Tyrek or something. <laughs> yeah, he's he's fucking who's grabbing not, airs up, yeah, dude. Who I guess is not one, but anyways, and great call out. But as we all know, something went wrong. Joffrey, of course. <laughs> a lot wrong. Arya says, someone should kill him! And Yorn says that, oh, someone will. But it won't be either of us. And he tells her that there's Sourleaf at the wagon and it'll help with the sting. And so it does, as well as make her spit red. And I just thought it was funny that Yorn says, you know, someone will kill him. It won't be me. It won't be you. And the person who kills Joffrey, it literally isn't either of them. Um... Technically, in some ways, it is Littlefinger, but whatever. What I'm going for here is that it's Sansa. Okay. It's Sansa. <laughs> Kinda. Yeah, that even comes up later when she hears that, quote-unquote, Sansa killed the king with a spell. Which I love that line. She killed the king with a spell, and she flew away with her black, leathery fucking wings. What a girl. Uh, I love that, how she's just incredulous. Like, Sansa wouldn't do that. Sansa loves songs. She can't murder uh, this kind of comes back to those sandor Yorn comparisons we talked about in the last chapter. I kind of was rem- reminiscing here, right, of Sandor protects Sansa during the shitty birthday tourney happening for Joffrey and Sansa won a Clash mm-hmm. of Kings, right? And it kind of lies for her and Yorin kind of with the beating and protecting, quote-unquote, quote-unquote, here. Uh, in a way, he's having Arya be protected from the boys discovering who she is and having to upkeep appearances and Sandor upkeeping his appearances of cruelty with Sansa in public, but then in private, almost being as kind as he can be, as he's capable of, obviously. You know, like him sticking up for her out of nowhere at the the tourney, you know, and being like, oh, fuck, why the fuck did I say that? Yeah, that's a lie. It's totally a, a true thing. A true thing, what she's saying, my king. I don't know. There's something there. Something there with Sandor and Yorin protecting the girls at the same time here. Well, yeah. In different ways. Yeah, and I mean, that's like, that chapter is very similar soon to here as well. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's next. It's literally yeah, next, it's next. Which we'll talk about very it soon. Next. Very yes. soon. Because we're going to do Sansa next. Yes. No, I'm just kidding. That's the next POV. Um, <laughs> so. Arya walks for the rest of the day, and Hot Pie is far worse off, unable to ride, sitting in the back of the wagons. Lamy wasn't hurt, but he stays far the fuck away from Arya. The bull tells her that every time she looks at Lamy, he twitches. I would be drunk off that power if I were her. <laughs> that night, Arya lays on her thin blanket, staring at the comet the bull named the Red Sword. For it looked like a sword, hot from the forge. When Arya squints, she's like, I guess I can kind of see how it's a sword, but it's not a new sword, it's ice, and it's her <laughs> father's sword, Valyrian steel, and it's red because it's full of Eddard's blood. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. There's Arya's trauma. She didn't even see it, and that's what <laughs> no, she's seeing. Real. You know? Yeah. I love the little hints, too, that, of course, Gendry is... It's Gendry. Uh, but that it's Gendry, right? That he's like, ah, oh, no, it's like a sword when it's hot from the forge. Huh, what boy that would have been, you know, offered up with some coin to go take the black very quickly during a power vacuum? Who could it be Who could that it be? worked in a forge? 
But do you think that Ned... And there is something about... Do you think Ned was just like, you know what? We sent one royal bastard to the wall. Seems like a good place to send royal bastards. Let's just... Maybe that kid. That kid should just go there too. I don't know. I don't know. It, it seems that was bastard. a Varys's plan, Sorry. is my guess. That's that's a Varys plan. Yeah, yeah. It looks like. True. It, it's kind of funny, though, because Varys would be sending a, a royal bastard to the wall, yet he doesn't know about the other royal bastard already there. The secretest of all Aegans. Yes. Don't put all your eggs in one basket, he says. <laughs> I love a... I do think there's something in there, like, maybe it's also to, to the future, right, of Gendry maybe being able to forge Valyrian steel. I could see that happening, but there's even that Nisa Nisa forging language, Zora High language with the sword, and that he's seeing the comet as a sword. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Everyone brings a little something. I don't know what it is, I'm just... They see what they want to see in it, you know? It's just like power. It's a metaphor. Just like Aeswath. We look up at the same stars. We see such different things. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is... No, but actually, literally. Um, I do think that's the metaphor. Meta. And one day, as a reminder, George has said that if he ever gives up, he's joked that while the comment is there, I can just, you know, insinuating he could just blow up everything. Anyway, we have this this line of, like, when Arya sleeps, she dreams of home, and then the end of the chapter because we're here already this is the shortest fucking chapter she yearned to see her mother again and rob and bran and rickon but it was john snow she thought of most she wished somehow they could come to the wall before winterfell so john might muss up her hair and call her little sister she'd tell him i when missed you. you and he'd say it too at the very same moment the way they always used to say things, things together. together. She would have liked that. She would have liked that better than anything. For those of you listening to the final cut of however the fuck Eliana just did that, I want you to know for historical purposes, this bitch could not stop laughing and it was my fault. I'm sorry. I'm sorry on air. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh. <laughs> Man, I love the way that this chapter melts straight into Sansa, right? I remember the first time I read A Clash of Kings and you finish Arya 1 and the next page is Sansa 1. And that was a great feeling because after reading A Game of Thrones, I mean, those are my girls. I cared about Arya and Sansa chapters. I was excited to read them. So I just, I don't know. I just have that like giddy feeling when I read Arya 1 because I get to the end. And I'm like, oh, there, there we go. The girls. Uh, of course, very mean of George after they've been pried apart to put them next to one another. And I love some of the insights of the comet that carry from this chapter over to Sansa's chapter, right? We have kind of that look at what the comet means to Gendry and what she sees the comet as here. But then you have Sansa 1, Bran 1, John 1, and Catelyn 1 all giving their own takes or giving some sort of look at the comet. In Sansa 1, on the morning of King Joffrey's name day tourney, Eris Oakhart comes to take her down to the tourney grounds, and she asks him what he thinks it means. He says immediately, with no hesitation, Glory to my boss, your betrothed. <laughs> he's like, yeah, haha, the guy that pays me and doesn't murder me. Uh, but yes, he's like, it's glory to him. See how it flames across the sky today on his grace's name day, as if the gods themselves have raised a banner in his honor. The small folk have named it King Joffrey's Comet. 
Doubtless that was what they told Joffrey. Sansa was not so sure. And she mentions it being called the Dragon's Tale. Dragon Tale. And Dragon Tale. Dragon's Tale. Dragon. Yeah, Aerys then is like, yeah, because he's the heir to the dragon. It's the castle built by, you know, his ancestors. He's the dragon's heir. Questionable. And crimson's the color of House Lannister. Another sign. And she's like, what? Really? Because I just don't think so. And Bran mentions it. It's interesting because I feel like Sansa, Bran, John, and Catelyn don't really actually have takes on it at all. It's people having takes at them about what it could mean, right? Bran now thinks about it and he asks Lewin, or Lewin says to him, you know, the wolves are howling at the comet. Maybe they think it's the moon. And Bran says it to Osha and she's like, no, it means blood and fire, boy, and nothing sweet. And then Septon Chael says, it's the sword that slays the season. So similar to Gendry's, but in a different a different place. Again, like you said, everyone's seeing it the way they wish to see it. John doesn't really seem to believe in it, which what, what do you mean? Doesn't believe a it. lot about like, him. But it's literally in the sky. <laughs> John's an anti. He's a comet anti. No, John like doesn't think it means anything. He's like it's just oh, okay. A fucking I was comet. like like the uh, Netflix movie. Don't look up. Oh my god! Don't look up. The other brothers, you especially, that title probably affects you. Don't look up, Eliana. You know what? It almost happened again. Anyway, so... (laughs) The Black Brothers, John's brothers, have said that the comet is Mormont's torch, only half in jest, saying the gods must have sent it to light our way through the haunted forest. Interesting, though. And Interesting, right? Uh, A guiding light. And Catelyn kind of mentions it, and she says her uncle, Brynden, says that his men call it the Red Messenger, and he wonders what the message is. And Catelyn says, The great John told Rob the old gods unfurled a red flag of vengeance for Ned. Edmure thinks it's an omen of victory for River Run. He sees a fish with the long tail, tully colors, red against blue. But of course, Catelyn thinks crimson is a Lannister color. Brynden, though, says that thing's not crimson nor tully red. The mud red of the river that's blood up there, child, smeared across the sky. So we don't really actually get a stark take on their what they think the comet means, because they're like, it's just a fucking thing in the sky. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, they're all like, I don't know, I feel like I have a bigger problem right now than to, to philosophize on the comet. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ, everyone. Like, what what are you all doing? Where do you have all this spare time? But, yeah, you don't fucking say, right? Yeah. Oh my god. There's a war. Or seven. Yeah. Or five. Whatever. Brendan saying, though, that's the red mud of the river. It makes me think of uh, Quentin being described as mud. That's Quentin's blood up there, child. Smeared across oh the my sky. God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't uh, even know if there was blood. I think it was more like sauce that boiled. You're right. There you probably know? wasn't blood. and all evaporated. Um, it's like how you can't put... If you put a frog in water that hasn't boiled yet, and you turn it up, and you start boiling it, it'll live you know, through most of it until it gets too hot. But then if you, like, throw it straight in, and it's like, oh god, it kills you from the shock. It's kind of what I think happened to Quentin, you know? He was but it took him three torched, days, right? He was flame-broiled. Yeah. He just... I, yeah, but you're that right. boy was done there for. There was no bleeding. You're absolutely right. He was burned. Um, Cauterized the yeah. wound. Probably. Immediately. Honestly, probably, actually. And... Yeah. He must not have been that delicious. They didn't, like... Yeah, then why didn't they him. eat him? Maybe too lean? Hmm. Maybe mm. I don't know, or maybe they were, maybe they were full, or they just had not yet developed taste for people. I mean, 
much as we talk about cannibalism, again, we're we probably don't taste that good. So. No, I know my diet. I mean, I know what I eat. They, they, definitely like are fed. I don't know, like lambs and shit. So. I mean, I'm going to be really honest with you. A good proportion of my body is fat, and I love fat, but you can only eat so much of it. You know, you can't, like... But what if we just, like, don't taste good? Like, I hear we taste, like, pork, but tougher. So, like, I don't know. But what if we're, like... I hear possums are super greasy, and they're therefore not great. Where are you hearing this? Possums? Where are you hearing About possums? Both. I don't know. Oh, the possum thing I heard from my friend's dad, who, um... Huh. He, I guess, was driving through, you know, I forgot which, like, place. It was, it was some of the southern states, you know. He was, like, in some off, mm-hmm. off-roads off areas. And they were like, we got possum. He was like, uh, okay. Wow. I know where to get gator and some other things, but. Yeah. Well, gator is. Little roadkill stew. Gator's, like, also a little chickenish. you know. It's fun. Yeah, it's very lean chickeny. It's because it's chicken lean, are reptiles. chickeny. According to some. No, but actually. So, anyways. Um, a great call out on the comet. It's a great way to tie the second book together across everything. Honestly, do you think, in your opinion, do you think George knows what the comet means? I think that he thinks that there is a big... Wait, hold or on. Or do you think that the comet Let even me... means anything yet? And that... um. Or is George going to make that up later? I don't... Oh, I don't think the comet really... Oh, because some people think it means... I mean, if it has to mean something, it's that dragons are fucking back. If anything. Yeah, I don't know that it actually has to mean anything, right? Like, it's... Comets are just huge cosmic snowballs, right? That orbit the sun. Um, When they're frozen, they're like the size of a town. And when they get close to the sun, it heats up and it spews dust and gases... Maybe it's some sort of magic reawaken because the dragon's awakening. The others were already awakening, right? We've already seen whites in the first chapter and others. So I don't necessarily think the comet has to mean something. I think it could also just be there's a fucking comet and it happened at all the same time and things align. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe George is going to have it tie magically. That would be the only way that I see it mattering. Like, I wouldn't even be surprised if we never fucking hear about the comet again. That's true. No, that's the thing. Like, I, I'm not sure it's ever going to come back or if it meant anything. But um, I think it's interesting that he has this whole comet thing, right? And comets and asteroids are not the same. But it is the same year that the movie Armageddon came out. That's all. Oh, interesting. Everyone was thinking that's about that, hand. you know, I guess, in that year. I, like... I don't think it was influenced by that movie because, like, I don't think the timing works out. But I, I'm sorry, absolutely works out in the same way that. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. Um... I know Game of Thrones. So there's there's Arya. Yeah, I, it's interesting. Yeah, I do think that maybe that's a really interesting. Uh, it's something I don't think about, and and maybe this is just years without a book talking, right? This is always years without a book talking. Honestly. Uh, and it could be because I'm reading The Expanse now, too, you know, so True. I'm like in space. There's a lot so of I just, asteroids. comets to me are something very different. Yeah. Uh, uh, 
dime a dozen, my friend, dime a dozen. But with that said, it's funny because maybe I just don't think magic first. And I do think that the magic is there. I think it's all over the place in these books. And I think that George has methods to its madness. And maybe the comet is aligned with something with the season change and something with the long winters or whatever. But I don't think that it's bringing something about that's not already there unless it's connected to dragons. You know? Yeah. I just don't see a reveal in like the 14th book where George is like, and that is why the dragons were born and why the others came back and da 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 all. And that's what the comet meant. And the comet had signified all this stuff that was going to like, I don't think it's going to be neat in a bow in a box like that. I don't think there's going to be some great reveal of George's like, and that was my mastermind theory about why I showed the comet in the second book. I don't think it's that important in the end. Yeah. I don't know. Unless George does give up and use it to destroy, like, hit Planetos and blow it all up. <laughs> As he said he well, could. Well, and I think, look at the Stark's reaction. Look at the Stark reaction, yeah. right? Like, they don't give a shit because they have real things to deal with, and I think that's bigger. Like, the people that are busy saying that the comet is so important and about themselves are people like King Joffrey, for example, right? Mm. Uh, people that need to hear that superstition and need it to further their political careers. Or Stannis. That's Stannis's comet. It's meant to shepherd him in as the rightful king of Westeros. Like Azor Ahai, it's him. He's like that kind of shit. Like it, it's a false thing to need in order to further your cause. And no one that matters, quote unquote, when I say matters, I'm not saying characters don't matter, but like people that are essential to the end game of thrones that I think are going to be at the very end of the story, still alive and rebuilding this country from war. Like the magical war is kind of a metaphor, right? Yeah. You know, the broken man speech is literally designed to be just like the war against the others in a way. Zombies that have been made zombies because they're giving their fucking lives, their bodies to men who don't give a shit and waste it away. Gamble it on the wind, right? Like a gold coin to them is nothing. We're, the wind's winner, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. So that that's just a little just a little ramble. I just think that from what we see from the important people who don't actually give a shit, you know, Catalin doesn't give a shit. She's like, whatever, I'm busy. Sansa, Arya, John, they're like, yeah, yeah, okay, well, these people say this, but I don't really have a take on it. Um, I don't know. I think the people that need to see something in it maybe are less important than the people that move on with their life from it. Well, you said something there that I thought was really interesting of how, like, there are some people who need to make the comment about themselves and what the comment does, again, like, it's something that strings together all of these early chapters and really holds the beginning of this book together and gives it continuity with the previous one and what it does besides, like, being a connecting device, it it mm-hmm. it tells you, it's a device that tells you a lot about the characters themselves, the state of their mindset, it's and as well as like by showing you how they would interpret the comet, but also like the circumstances of where they are. Like this is the most important event in this arc. Mm-hmm. This is the most important event in this arc, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Oh, I like that that it defines what's happening in each plot and how they relate it to the events around yeah. them. And to uh, and I get it, signs importance, right? This is a major sign important but i don't know i guess we'll see in the winds of winter which should be coming out right now <laughs> right. under your chair right look under your now. chair right now we said Arya has a lot of chapters it's the winds of winter she has even more now Arya has 28 chapters in this book and i can't wait to read them with you oh all gosh. let's dig in let's dig in <laughs> one day maybe uh, 
Thanks for listening to Arya 1 in A Clash of Kings. That was a fun, short chapter. I think next week will be a little bit longer, but still pretty quick. And we'll be getting into the meat meat. of A Clash of Kings soon. And not only will we get into the meat, but you will meet some of our friends who are going to come over to chat Arya. Absolutely. And if you want to keep up with those episodes, or if you have something that you want to let us know, you can follow us on social media. You can find us at Girls Gone Canon. That's C-A-N-O-N. Over on Twitter or on Blue Sky. Ha ha ha. We've been giving out a bunch of Blue Sky invites lately. You know, if that's something that you're interested in. And we also, um, again, have our email. You can send us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. You can also send us animals. Where's the cat pics at? I want some cat pics. Anyways, yeah, send it there. And hey... Here is a message from our patrons who are our sponsors. We are ad-free. We do this every week, and we do it for you all. But we do it for them, baby. We do it for the patrons. And our patrons are going to tell you where you can find us on other platforms. You can catch Girls Gone Canon on any of the following streamers. On Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Acast, Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Audible, and Amazon Podcasts. You can also join us on Patreon, where if you join the Thunder tier above, you have access to a Discord and monthly happy hours and things like that. And by joining the Discord, you get access to a bunch of great channels, including but not limited to memes and shitposting channel, Fashion Hour, There are multiple channels for historic materials, A Song of Ice and Fire. There's a Pets channel, which I think is probably the most important channel of all. Respectful Thirsting, because there's a channel for that. Come by, join the community, it's a lot of fun, and you won't regret it. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I've been another one of your hosts, Eliana. We'll see you next time for yet another Arya Stark chapter. Or did you mean lumpy face slash lumpy head? Do you want to be lumpy face or lumpy head? And I'll just be the other one. I don't really want to be either of them. Fine. (laughs) I'll be horse face. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 